where else would you rather be than right here, right now? For Bills fans. By Bills fans. Only Buffalo is going to win it. This is the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast with Brad the Bruiser Icorn and Alex Jones. This place is pandemonium. Here's Brad the Bruiser Icorn. And welcome back for another edition of the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast. Brad the Bruiser Icorn, Alex Jones with you as the uh, Bills are fresh off a, uh, well not fresh off, it's been almost a week at this point here, but uh, a win on Thursday night football over Tampa, and then coming up this weekend, Sunday night football in Cincinnati. So it's been nearly a week removed here, but my frustrations with the Bills are still ex- existent, Alex, in certain areas where offense played better, but it was just that point in the game where all they had to do was you know a couple plays that could have put that game on ice, put it away, and they just couldn't ever totally put it away. It had to come down to the very last play to end the game. Yeah, I agree, Brad. I mean, it is one of the things where I think the frustration factor, it also comes in at sort of a point of like, people were a lot, I saw a lot of comments from fans online being like, well, if this is the, the Bengals or the Dolphins or the Chiefs, you can't do that. And it's like, yeah, but they weren't. <laughs> they were the Buccaneers. Uh, Bradley Gerber made a really good point where he was like, this is a team that hadn't driven the ball more than 48 yards all night. And he's like, do you want them to be aggressive? Sure. But Josh Allen's shoulders clearly banged up. Like, you don't want them hurt in the long term. You know, you know so... I also completely understand them short-term being like, yeah, you know what? We'll just play it safe and trust our defense. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think the defense played spectacular in this one, but they played sound, I thought, overall. I mean, a win's a win, and there's no style points in the NFL, so it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing you've ever seen in your life as long as they come out on top, and... I felt like that was a game, you know, ultimately against the Giants and, of course, last Thursday uh, against the Buccaneers. Yeah, and I, I, I think that Josh being banged up, and I think he's more banged up than they're letting on to. Um, but I think Josh banged up is is definitely leading them this. They know they're a playoff team. Whether that be win the division or wild card, they know they're going to the playoffs. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of philosophy of like, you know what? We're just going to keep it close and hope that our offense and our defense can pull out a win in a close game. And I kind of, I don't hate that. You know, I don't hate that philosophy. Like we know we're a playoff team. We'll probably win more of the coin flips than we lose. And all that matters for us is those playoff games, is getting those dubs in the big moments. Yeah. Because in actuality, that's kind of not been their philosophy, right? Like, Allen's full mantra has always been like, I go 100% every single play. And sometimes you just need to recognize like, hey, you know what? We're just going to stick in this one and hope it goes our way to save yourself for knowing that you're going to get wins going forward. Yeah. Um, some takeaways in this one. 
right, you brought up Josh Allen's shoulder in this one. Obviously, he played well. We saw that little scare where he, he you know, again, primetime football goes into the tent. Came out, fortunately, uh, just as he did against the Giants. But um, how much concern, at least today? He, he missed practice today to, to rest that shoulder, to heal. Do you take it almost like a veteran rest day, or is it your fear that this shoulder injury is worse than they're letting on? No, I think it's going to be one of those nagging injuries. It's like a probably like a deep bone bruise where it's like uncomfortable. But if you manage the pain and the healing correctly, where you're like, hey, Josh, we know what you know about the offense. Like, we know sure. you know everything about this offense. Yeah. We're just going to give you a day where you don't do anything with that shoulder. Where maybe he woke up and he was like, hey, guys, it's really sore today. Because that's the, you know, those small nagging injuries will do that, right? They'll do that. They'll be like, good for a week. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, that really hurts today. Like, you know, like almost a week out, you're like, ah, this is really banged up. So I, I think it's not, I think A, having it be Thursday night football was perfect for the Bills. Gave, gave Josh a ton of time to get rested. I also think, though, resting him here and being like, hey, it's just mental rest day. That's not bad in the slightest. Yeah. Well, and it was so funny because I didn't pay any attention to it until later in the day. I get a text from my brother and says, oh, no, I'll give Josh my shoulder. I was like, I haven't gotten any alerts. I haven't gotten anything. And he's like, oh, yeah, he missed practice. I said, oh, well, now I don't feel nearly as concerned that, yeah, he just missed practice, no team reports or anything. But here's the question. I mean, is there any trust or any hope that if Josh went out that we could trust the other guy at quarterback named Allen and Kyle at this point? No. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> you should never have. I mean, there's like a handful of guys in the league who you're like, I trust this guy in to be my backup quarterback. I feel like Gardner Minshew's one of those guys. Yeah. Taylor Heineke's one of those guys. They're a guy who can come in in like a four game. It's the classic Ryan Fitzpatrick. If we had Ryan Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Right, uh, even Trubisky's on the tail end of that. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the, cla- the prototypical backup quarterback. He will win you two games. He'll keep you in one game and he'll lose you one game. But if you can go three and one with a backup quarterback in over a four-game stretch, you're gold. Yeah, that's And fair. so I, I, I don't know if Kyle Allen's that guy. I do know that the Bills are a competent enough defense and run game with enough pieces around them where you could cobble. It's not going to look like the Giants against the Jets last weekend, which was an abomination. Just an absolute abomination. No one, the fans... No one won that game. I understand the Jets did. No one actually won. The Jets didn't look good, and they barely squeaked out a victory against a bad Giants team who also did not look good. And for some reason, there is a bevy of quarterbacks out there like, you know what, we're we're rolling Tommy DeVito back out here. It it, it boggles the mind. But um, it... It, it very much feels like as you lead into this week, as you start to build momentum heading into a huge, huge Sunday night game, it just makes sense to be like, "Hey, Josh, you're good for it. Like, you don't need to. You don't need to throw that shoulder. You you don't need to do those things. Let him get fully back to health where it's like, 
it'll just it just hurts ever so slightly. Versus if you're like, you know what, we're gonna push it with practice, we're gonna do this. You you run the risk of inflaring that injury. You know, there's no report on what that injury is, but it sound, it just seems like he bruised a shoulder, which hurts. You know, if you ever fallen or rammed your shoulder into something, it hurts. And it to me it just makes a lot of sense having him sit out of this game and take or sit out of this practice, take it easy. Um, because while Kyle Allen I think is competent enough to come in the game, I don't know if he's competent enough to win you that game. Yeah, and that's how I feel too. Um, so I think it's just going to be, as they've said before, pain management. And that's probably what this path is going to be with Josh Allen down the rest of the stretch is pain management. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of those things where they are coordinating with him on how he feels. You know, I, I'm i going to reference here, you know, when you look at the charts and that's where your level of pain, you know, what what type of face is it is that that level that i feel like it's that's my what i envision is daily that they have to charge josh how bad's the pain point to the smiley frowny face and tell us which one i feel like that's how it feels at this point another thing we haven't thought about is did josh allen tire out his right arm giving out candy to kids on halloween i hope that that's why that would be the, the better case he, he seems like a guy who would give out full king-size candy bars. Not even full-size. He's going king-size candy bars. And... I, um, I, I, so that's what I told my wife sure. and children. I said, forget trick-or-treating here. We're driving to Josh Allen's neighborhood next Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might as well. That's a smart move to go to the Bills players, where the Bills players live in OP and East Aurora. Because in all honesty, like, they're going to be the ones giving out the good stuff. Well, our first trick or treater last night, Tim Settle and his uh, his his wife and their son, stinking adorable. Isn't that isn't that funny? Yes. Yep. First one, number ninety nine, and uh, I didn't say nothing. I never do. I mean, he, leave the guy alone. But yeah, they were the first trick or treaters at least at the R Street Media headquarters here in uh, in the South Towns. I feel like that's the unwritten rule of Buffalo. It like it's kind of like any other. It's unlike any other NFL town, where if you see a bill in public, you're like, "All right," and and they, a lot of bills have told stories about this. Like people just see him, give him like a nod, like, "Hey, I you're a Buffalo Bill," and they give you a nod back, like, "Yes, I'm a Buffalo Bill." We both recognize this. Let's go about our day. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> That's how at least I've seen it living here. Now over a year. Yep, exactly. I've seen. I was like, wow. I've never seen more professional athletes just out and about town, anywhere I've lived my entire life, and I've lived all over the country, um, but here in Buffalo, it, it's just a little bit different. It really is, but that that's also I feel like a lot of times. I mean, getting into our next topic, a guy coming to Buffalo, the Bills make a deal at right? the trade line for Rasul Douglas. Sending a third-round pick to the Packers for Rasul Douglas and a fifth-round pick, which on a trade chart equivalent equate, equates to about a four a mid-fourth-round pick. How did you feel when you saw that news come in? I liked it at first. I was like eh, giving up that kind of pick, but then I, the more I thought it through and everything, I mean, 
you know, Trey's out. So, um, and there's something I want to get to with corner, but all in all, I like this trade. I think it's going to help them down the stretch. Um, funny that I read an article, the corner opposite side of him in Green Bay, um, of course, his name totally escapes me right now, right when I could use it. Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander Jair. was like, he he couldn't believe it. He was shocked when he woke up and saw the news that Douglas got traded. Yeah, and it, it, everything, like, I was talking to my brother along the trade deadline, watching all the deals, and once we saw the Rasul Douglas, he was like, go find some Green Bay beat writers and see what they feel. And every single one was like, he's the leader of the locker room. He's heart and soul, one of the hearts and souls of the team. He's a veteran presence. He's going to be missed yep. desperately. He has, I think, $187,000 this year on his contract. And next year, he has like eight and some change with incentives. Yeah. The Bills can then prorate that, turn it into a larger roster bonus, and they're save about five mil in cap while he gets basically all that money up front. This was, I think, one of the better trades Bean has ever made. And we'll see on the field. Yeah. But he's a dude who hits hard. He plays the style that McDermott likes to play. He's physical. He's the biggest corner I think we've ever had on the Bills recently outside of like somebody like Saran Neal. But the biggest starting corner, Trey's not a huge dude. Benefer's not a huge dude. A lot was supposed to be that dude a little bit. But he has a history of playing in zone schemes. He's one of the highest rated corners in coverage this year for PFF, who I don't put a ton of stock in because um, football, unlike like baseball, where it's like, what were the options? It was to hit the ball out, hit the ball in play, hit the ball to a fielder, or strike out or walk or a beating ball. Mm-hmm. Um, football is very dependent on that week's matchup. So your line, like, just let's use the offensive line. They grade offensive line. This is a good offensive line. This is a bad offensive line. And you're like, well, you said his assignment was to slide left. But in actuality, if they saw 58 walk up into the A-gap in nickel personnel, they shifted the O-line call so the right guard would slide right and the center would slide right instead of a center sliding left on a half slide, wide, a half line slide. And then they were like, well, that guy blitzed through his gap. And I was like, actually, that's the running back's gap to pick up because they did this specialty. You know, they changed it on the go from what they saw from that team. Yeah, they so did. You can't really, I don't, I don't inherently trust their rankings. I also don't inherently trust anyone who's like, which PFF seems to do, like, our rankings are the best rankings. Yeah. Rather than say, like, there's a reason why NFL teams don't prescribe to EFS grades. They do prescribe to their raw data and they pull it all in and use their own analytical and formulas for it, um, which are significantly better than PFFs. But uh, still, being one of the top 10 ranked cornerbacks in coverage or top 15 ranked cornerbacks in coverage this year on a bad, bad Packers team is impressive. Well, money-wise, I mean, this was a smart deal, and this is the kind of deal that we've seen Brandon Bean make several times before, uh, or just it makes sense. You know, it's not an eye-popping, you know. There's, you know, all sorts of stories of, you know, 
Should they go and get Adams from from the Raiders? Uh, you know, what kind of trades and stuff should they make? I mean, you know, not a big name or anything like, but someone schematically who fits, who doesn't break the bank, that doesn't completely uh, implode the salary cap. And like you said, there's ways that they can restructure this at the same time. This was just a vintage, smart, Brandon Bean-esque move. It was also not giving up too much premium assets. They're going to get a third-round pick for Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. And so, you know what? Doing that, saying, hey, we have a comp pick that theoretically could be seven picks later. Essentially, you're trading the comp pick, which is... Think about it this way. You just traded Tremaine Edmonds and got back Rasul Douglas in a pick. I don't hate that trade in play. Nope. Nope. So Buffalo Bills bring in Rasul Douglas from the Packers. He is the lone addition here at the deadline, but... Like, like you and I have said here, Alex. So a move that I feel warm about. Do I think they wish they did more? I'm sure every franchise is saying that the day after the deadline. But all in all, I'll take it. I was like, just some kind of move I want to see. Would Trey out? I think this was a great move for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and the only other one I would have liked to see maybe is a one-tech. Um, I think that, you know... It, but that, I think, speaks to what we spoke about, I think, last week, that uh, I don't know if Daquan and Milano are done for the season. People calling for linebacker, I get it, but there's just, it's kind of like offensive line play. There's just not that many competent ones out there who teams are willing to part with because there's such a low number of them to begin with. Um, and um, linebacker, I, I think they're fine there. Dodson and Dorian Williams are going to be a combination that, while not being the best, are surviving. Like, you're, you can interchange them depending. I think if you have Dodson starting this week, the Bengals are just going to throw slants at him all day and pick on him because he's incompetent in coverage. And I think that if I think Dorian Williams being in there or even somebody like Taylor Rapp would make a lot of sense. Um, Neither of those, outside of one tech, neither of those really made sense to me to trade for. But it leans into my suspicion more and more that, um, it leans in my suspicion more and more that Milano and Jones will be back before the end of the season. Yep, and that's how I feel like, too, that they've played that very close to the vest. That's why we never heard anything about season ending or anything like that with either two, those two players. So um, hopefully they're healing, they're getting better, and maybe we'll see them late down the stretch. All right, looking at the Bills injury report, i got to say it is hilarious that Rasul Douglas, he's listed on there. It just says injury, and it said just got here. <laughs> Did not practice today. Yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> Yeah, and that's just the Bills being cheeky. It's the same thing that they did with Leonard Fournette today, putting out a video being like him and walking up to Shaq Lawson and be like, we're not, tell these people we're still not beefing. And everybody, and then they laugh, and then Leonard Fournette goes, besides, I won the fight anyways. Kyer <laughs> uh, Elam. All right, I want to talk about Elam. He is on the injury report. He um, did not practice today with an ankle injury. And Brandon Bean did say something. I caught his presser today that, um, and it really struck me well that he talked about Josh Norman, who's now back on the Bills practice squad, dressed last week too, 
over Elon when he said part of it is he's had this ankle injury. It's been nagging. So that's been part of it, too. But he said, you know what? He's a guy that, you know, it may just take time for him to pop. Everyone wants answers now, wants gratification now that he said, you know, it wasn't until when Brandon Bean was in Carolina, Josh Norman's third year there, when he broke out and became the Josh Norman that so many people took notice of across the league. And maybe that's overly optimistic, but maybe that's a glimmer of hope that we can have here with Kyrie Elam that he could be there. He's just not there yet. He looks busty right now, but maybe that's not the case. Well, and I think that's like, think about Wyatt Teller. Like Wyatt Teller is the ultimate example. The Bills trade him to the Browns. And a year later, he's an all-pro offensive lineman in a position the Bills had desperately, desperately needed. So you know what? I think Rick Bean has kind of learned. Like, we are going to give guys as much string as possible, as much line. Because you have his fifth-year option. You have all these things. Yep. So you, you theoretically have him for five years. So it's never, it's not too early. It's always going to be too early to let a guy go, right? You want to allow him to develop. And if he doesn't um, develop in that fourth year to fifth year, then you got to start thinking about, you know what, let's let's cut bait on him. But it, like you said, Brad, it's it's gonna, you don't want to give up on a guy too early. Like Bean even, I feel like, has done that at times where he gave up on a guy a little too soon and regrets it and yeah. is like, you know what, we're going to, we're gonna, now, there's also been other ones. Uh, Daryl Johnson um, got traded to the Panthers. Um, Vlad Ducasse, who somehow the Bills got a draft pick for from the Patriots. I'm not sure how. Um, um, who's the other one? Oh, uh, Boogie Basham. Yeah. He's got multiple. We got two draft picks for him. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's doing anything for the Giants right now. Um, so it's it's a, they the Bills have I feel like developed a better sense of when to trade guys versus when to not trade them. For those tuned in here, I want you to follow us across our social media platforms. Find us online at DrafthouseSports.com at DHS Buffalo at TW DHS. It's Alex. I'm on Twitter at Bills Bruiser. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash Buffalo Bills Draft House. All right, before we get into the Cincinnati game too much, just want to take a brief pause and talk about what the Raiders did uh, overnight. They fired head coach Josh McDaniel and GM Dave Ziegler. Interesting stat on Josh McDaniel. He's the only head coach in NFL history to be fired twice midway into his second season as a head coach of a team, first with Denver and now with the Raiders. Um, yeah, I, I never thought he was a good head coach, uh, the way things no, went in Denver, and that's how it's proven here. Yeah, he's just a guy who feels almost cursed, right? Like, he's almost cursed in the way that he's like, hey, like, he just isn't a guy who should be get. He's going to get another coaching opportunity. Like, he's going to be a good coordinator for a good offense. And somebody and somebody's going to give him a shot. And it's going to be the wrong decision. It's just going to be the wrong decision. Because in all honesty, like, he's just, he just doesn't have it. 
He just doesn't have. Yeah. And I mean, that's my opinion. Um, It was funny because I thought, you know, maybe the Patriots are going to take a run at him. And this is prior to him leaving. My thought was when he burned Indianapolis, rescinded the head coaching position and went back, that made me think, oh, so he must be the head coach in waiting until Belichick retires, but it's so Patriots not to announce it. And then he left for the Raiders and said, oh, interesting. Um, that, you know, I thought he could be a guy, let's face it, uh, the Patriots was Bill Belichick's second head coaching job, and he won six Super Bowls, all right. So I was wondering, you know, could this be a retribution story for Josh McDaniel? Clearly, if it is going to happen, it's not, it did not happen in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I think this sort of, it's, um, it's kind of like, I forget who I was talking about, but they're kind of ruining their legacy. Um, I, I can't remember for the life of me, but basically I, I think Josh McDaniels is kind of ruining his legacy as a coach. Like for years it was like, well, you know, he had some good Broncos teams. He just didn't, he never found the right fit, but he's going to be the best. You know, he'll be a great head coach. He'll be an awesome head coach. He's going to be, you know, really good. He'll be able to, um, he'll be able to pull it together. And then, now it's like, I don't know if you ever can hire him again as a head coach and your fan base be excited for it. You know, I knew I know a couple Raiders fans who were like, we finally have like a really competent head coach. Um, oh, you see, know. I knew Raider fans who thought what I thought and thought he was a lame duck too. So I guess it goes both yes. ways. Yes. But I think that you, I think it was a splashy signing, but it's, I mean, I think the Raiders are still paying three head coaching contracts. They're paying Jack Del Rio, they're paying Gruden, and they're paying McDaniels, and then they'll be paying a fourth head coach. Wow. And I heard that was something I read at least today. That was part of the reason that they thought uh, they didn't go ahead and fire Mark Davis, didn't have enough cash to be able to cover uh, you know, the severance package or what have you, the buyout uh, on his contract. Well, yeah, they're... They're they're incredibly cash stretched, which feels odd. You know, it, it feels it feels not only that, it just feels for an NFL odd for an NFL team to be like, we don't have the money. Yeah, right. What? It's a billion <laughs> dollar you don't league. Have the money. Huh. Not only that, you're one of the most pop you're one of the most recognizable brands oh, in sports. Right up there with you Dallas. Have. Yes. And so it, it is interesting. That I don't think Mark Davis will ever be deposed of the ownership of the Raiders, but it's just interesting that he's constantly like, <laughs> "Yeah, I keep making bad decisions, and I don't have the cash to do it." You know, it is. It's just interesting that that's the case. I don't know if you want to talk about bad decisions and Mark Davis. Just look at his haircut, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think at this point he's almost. I don't know, because I don't know if he's this self-aware. He might not be. Um, I feel like he plays into it. I feel like he purposely yeah, keeps I getting so bad too. haircuts. To be like, he got it originally, because he's probably just like a cheap, rich white guy. Yeah. Who's like, no, I just go to my barber. He he does $15. And then he saw people making fun of him. And he's like, well, my dad had the sunglasses. I have the Simple Jack haircut. Interesting reunion this week, and I never even thought about it. How could I not think about this? 
Damar Hamlin and Tyler Boyd. A reunion for them. Last time they were in Cincinnati, uh, Damar Hamlin practically dying on the field, and they had to, uh, you know, bring him back. Uh, I mean, they, the Bills training staff saved his life, but, you know, it was a freak play. It was unintentional, but, um, yeah, big reunion just for those two players in this game. Yeah, and I think if, if, if they play Hamlin, I mean, I think it possibly could be that he still – not all the way back to playing shape because he, he was playing he, he incredibly was well week, last year. So I don't know. I could see him being scratched for this one for a variety of reasons. But all the stuff, I, I think that Cincinnati fans still hold animosity over um, that game being called, you know, canceled and everything, that they would boo him, I feel like. I don't think so. I, I If you're a person who boo Ohio someone, fans are ugly, man. Yeah, they are. I don't. I'm think sorry, Ohio fans saying. that tune into this, but they are. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't. Ex- I, if they did, it would be one of the more classless things to happen in the NFL. I don't even know if Philly fans would do that. In all honesty, Philly fans are savages. But there's something about the trauma of it where you've sort of bonded over this mutually assured thing. Like they also beat us in the playoffs. You know, it's not like. It's not like them calling the game or not forfeiting the game to us cost them a chance at the Super Bowl. Like they still beat us and went to the AFC title game and lost. It wouldn't have they wouldn't have got home field because the Chiefs had the number one seed locked. They wouldn't have gotten any other thing mm-hmm. besides what happened. So it's like what what do you hold animosity for? All like right. genuinely what do you hold it for? I'm instantly going to go ahead and issue an apology because I don't want to just get trolled and attacked by Ohio sports fans on Twitter. The, a lot of the Ohio sports fans I've met are really aggressive and crazy in what you see on TV and everything. That's not true of all of them. One of our dedicated loyal listeners, Spike Razum, uh, a Cleveland native, uh, lived in Grand Island, roots for the Bills, roots for, lives in Phoenix now, roots for the Cardinals. Spike, uh, no, not all are ugly, just it appears that way, so... Well, I mean, let's no, not go that no shade intended. Uh, Ohio, Ohio is, Ohio is, you know, people talk about Florida because Florida is a god awful state. It's America's way. They never mention. They never, but it, I see. I think I think it's different. Uh, I think I think it's the part where everything in the body oozes into. Like it's the it's the the receptacle that all the bad things like. I've never known someone who in my life was like, I need to get out of this state and move to Florida. Where I was like, you're a classy person. <laughs> like every time it's like, eh. Yeah. Right? You just, you, right before you said that, you shotgunned a four loco. It's 1130 in the morning. What are you doing? <laughs> on a Tuesday and you shotgun in four locos and be like, got to get out of this state. Like, I think that's you, buddy. Um, but Ohio is a doctor. Yeah. But I don't think they're enough of a dumpster. I mean, they're playing sour grapes right now because they couldn't. They lost to Michigan two straight seasons, so they had to launch an entire investigation. But that's a different podcast, yeah. different story for a different podcast. Um, in this, uh, but yeah, nevertheless, I, I think this game's going to be tough. Bengals' offense looks like it's rounding into form, but at the same time, and I mean, this could be that you know what they finally hit their rhythm. Joe Burrow's feeling better. I feel like this Bills team is better than it was last year. 
the offense, while looking a little more stagnant, has better numbers. Like they, I think they're like third in points, like fourth in yards. Mm-hmm. This is a good team. I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think it. I think if we're, I think Rasul Douglas will play, and I think he could be a game changer in this game because upgrading from Dane Jackson, who should be a fringe. He should be like uh, the new Levi Wallace, as I said last week. week. Well, not even that, because Levi Wallace was like, no, he's a legitimate start. Like Levi Wallace has started. Okay, fair. Like Dane Jackson, I think Dane would admit this as well. Like, hey, I'm a like I'm 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 a seventh round pick. I am exactly where I need to be. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, Jalen Ramsey. I'm not Patrick Peterson in his prime. I am a smaller guy. Who who through hard work, dedication to my craft, and an understanding of my physical limitations has been able to succeed, where a lot of people my size and my pedigree don't. And so I I think having a guy like Rasul Douglas going against T. Higgins and being able to give that veteran presence, that heart of the team, a guy when the going gets tough, he gets going. Yeah. That's the type of guy the Bills defense needs right now because they're without two of those guys. Milano, I feel like, was the spiritual leader of the defense. Milano, with every big game, he would make one of those flying hits where he comes out of nowhere, catches oh. a running back flat, and knocks him out and just stands up and looks back at his defense. Yep. And that got the boys going. So you need somebody who's going to make those plays, whether it's a big hit, a big pass breakup, something like that. And I think it was a very smart move. Bringing it all back around, I think it was a smart move by Bean to bring a guy like that in who is a little bit of a heart and soul guy. Give us your keys to the game in this one, Alex. I mean, it is what it is every week, right? Bills have to dominate time of possession this week. They need to make sure the ball doesn't get into Joe Burrow's hands. You want drives that are nine or more plays. Get those long, thumping drives down where it's like, Hey, first down, get four yards. Second down, get four yards. Third down, three yards. And you just chip, 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 chip away as you go down the field. Extend that time of possession and make every single possession for the Bengals count. Make them score on every single possession, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown. Force them to play mistake-free football. And I think the Bills win this game. Defensively, just do your job. I mean, that's that's the short and long of it. As this team gets healthier, they get the stocks get a little more refilled. Um, and you know, you you have to play within the system and do what you need to do because it feels like at times there's been a couple mental mistakes that have cost this team. Finally, it's getting healthy. I think a lot of guys have been dealing with nagging injuries. Root, Ed Oliver, yeah. name it across the line. Hey, shout out AJ Vanessa. He's having. Well, having Ballin. an amazing season in a contract Ballin. year. Incredible. I wouldn't be shocked if he's one of those dudes that gets re-signed midway through the season, a la Matt Milano, a la yeah. Trey White, a la Deion Dawkins. Um, because he, that's how good he's played. He has played his way into a contract. Um, and kind of the opposite for Gabe Davis. I don't feel like Gabe Davis has played. I think no. Gabe Davis his stock is dropping. But he's going to be one of those guys where a team's like, yeah, but he's tall and fast, and he had that game against Kansas City. Like, I could see, like, 
the Bears being like, hey, here's a overpay three year, hundred and twenty million dollar contract. Yeah. And you're like, yep. He couldn't he couldn't say no to it. And the Bills are like, well, we would prefer to have Gabe. But at the same time, we'll take a third round pick. Um, so I, I think those are the keys. Special teams. You need to get Bass out of his funk. He looked a little off recently. I think that also had to do with the conditions in Buffalo and New England. One of those kicks, you could just see it was going straight, and then the wind hit it, and it just sliced. Um, So I think they just need to – if you can get a turnover on special teams, that wins you the game. Like a fumble recovery, a muff punt, even a fake punt, those will win you game. I mean, Martin has looked exceptional over the last few games. He was constantly – and I mean, even that last punt, if if Saran Neal just gets half a finger more on that, that ball's down at the two-yard line. One thing, too, and I, I, it was evident in the uh, divisional game last year that Joe Burrow just stood back in the pocket and had all day. He just had a whole day that they have to put heat on them. They have to get a pass rush home. And the Bills pass rush... This is the first time, I think, that we've really wanted to see something out of the line. We're seeing it this year that they have to keep it going. They have to, you know, force Burrow out of the pocket. They have to force him to move around. They have to smack him. They need to play nasty, in my opinion, against Joe Burrow in this one. He stood back there all day, all day in that divisional game and just was able to just go through his progressions and find his open man. They have to hit home on him in this game. Yeah, I completely agree, Brad. They really they they need to dial up some pressure because it felt like they weren't even blitzing that game. It felt like they were just dropping out and trying to get um just trying to get there with four when they were already depleted and injured. So I, I, I think I completely agree. I think you'll see McDermott dial it up a little bit more, bring some more exotic looks, bring some, you know, some different pressure. And if the D line can start getting home, that's gonna be a game changer. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Buffalo Bills Draft House podcast. Find us at facebook.com slash Buffalo Bills Draft House. Follow Alex at TW Callahan. Follow me at Bills Bruiser. And follow our work at DHS Buffalo and DraftHouseSports.com. For Alex Jones, I'm Brad the Bruiser Icorn. Go Bills. This has been the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast. Available on Spotify, Odyssey, Prime Music, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. An R Street Media production.